And so we've really enjoyed being able to look at the historical context and then think about uh, and hear how David cries out to the Lord from the midst of his situation, which is why we've titled the series Outcry. We get to listen in as David cries out to the Lord from the midst of his, either his joy or his fear or his suffering. And so we get to hear him process life by faith. And there are very few things as important to us spiritually than knowing how to process life by faith. I heard somebody say, you have not yet, you haven't truly read the Psalms until you have prayed them, until they've become the articulation of your own heart cry. They've become your own outcry. Turn, if you would, to Psalm 60. This is our psalm for today, and we're going to start with a historical situation found in the superscription. Superscription, they were added when the psalms were compiled into the book of psalms, but they are considered sacred scripture. Psalm 60, superscription, to the choir master. So this psalm was intended to be sung by the people of God, according to Shushan Eduth, a popular, well-known tune at the time. A miktam of David. We don't know what a miktam is. It was probably a liturgical or musical notation of David. So David wrote this psalm for instruction. That's a new one for us. So the purpose of this psalm is to instruct God's people. And of course, you have to ask, you know, what's God trying to teach us through this? When David strove with Aram Naharayim and with Aram Zobah, and when Joab, on his return, struck down 12,000 of Edom in the Valley of Salt. Most likely, this is referring to uh, a period of time in Israel's history that's recorded in 2 Samuel 8 and also in 1 Chronicles 18. 2 Samuel 8, 1 Chronicles 18. But when you read it, it's basically just a record of a bunch of victories that David had over the surrounding Gentile nations. And this string of victories follows immediately upon God entering into a covenant with David in which he said, David, you want to build me a house, but you know what? I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to give you a dynasty that lasts forever. There will be one of your descendants sitting on the throne for everlasting upon everlasting. And of course, that ultimate descendant is our Lord Jesus Christ, who will reign forever and ever. But it's kind of surprising in light of that record of just victory upon victory upon victory to read this psalm. It seems almost incongruous. And so let me read Psalm 60. Oh God, you have rejected us, broken our defenses. You have been angry. Oh, restore us. You have made the land to quake. You have torn it open. Repair its breaches, for it totters. You've made your people see hard things. You have given us wine to drink that made us stagger. You have set a banner up for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow, Selah. That your beloved ones may be delivered, give salvation by your right hand, and answer us. God has spoken in his holiness. With exultation I will divide up Shechem, and portion out the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Moab is my washbasin, 
Upon Edom I cast my shoe. Over Philistia I shout in triumph. Who will bring me to the fortified city? Who will lead me to Edom? Have you not rejected us, O God? You do not go forth, O God, with our armies. O grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is he who will tread down our foes. So this seems a bit incongruous with the string of victories listed in 2 Samuel 8 and 1 Chronicles 18. Because it appears here that Israel has lost a battle. And David has concluded that God is angry with Israel. God is not going out to fight for Israel. Otherwise, they would not lose. You know, and this conclusion isn't, uh, isn't illogical. Because Israel, at this time, is living under the Mosaic Covenant. And in the Mosaic Covenant, God says, if you are fulfilling your covenant obligations, then I will give you victory over your enemies. But if you are failing to live up to your covenant obligations, I'm not going to fight for you. In fact, I'll fight against you, and you will be defeated. So let me just read really quickly, remind you, Deuteronomy chapter 28. Some of, uh, here's the spelling out of the Mosaic Covenant. Deuteronomy 28.1. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, verse 7, the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Okay, faithful to the covenant, I'm going to give you victory. But, verse 15, if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. And so David, apparently Israel has lost a battle and David has concluded, we're not right with God. He's not fighting for us. And so, here's what I think is awesome. And I think this is one of the big things of the psalm. So often when I encounter even Christian people, when they've failed, when they've sinned, when they become aware that God's disciplining them for their behavior, bad behavior, so often the instinct is to run away from God right? Uh Uh-oh, God's angry with me. I'm running away from him. I've got to go hide. He's he's scary. I don't want to face his displeasure. So I love the fact that David, his solution to everything, David's solution to everything is run to God. When he is uh, uh, scared, he runs to God. When he's happy, he runs to God. When he, has, he, when he and Israel are being disciplined by God, he runs to God. And, and this is such an important paradigm for us to get. The solution is never to run away from God and hide. The solution is always to run back to God, even when you're being disciplined for your sin. Run back to God and say, hey, I know there's a problem between us, but I want that to be to change. I want us to be restored. 
Right now, I'm on my own. I don't want that anymore. I want us to be together. Run back to God. There's a lot in this psalm I want to drill down on verse 4. Because I think 4 is kind of the linchpin to this whole psalm. You have set up a banner for those who fear you, that they may flee to it from the bow. I have some props. I'm sure the banner was much more impressive, David was thinking about. But um, the situ- what he's got in mind is a battlefield, an ancient hand-to-hand combat battlefield. And God's people are spread out across the battlefield, and many of them have, uh, have become isolated, and they're exhausted, and they're scared, and they are in danger of being routed. Maybe they are being routed. And in the midst of that kind of chaotic scene of um, what appears to be inevitable defeat, the king plants the banner. And then, no matter where you are on the battlefield, you can look and you can see the banner, and you can see where the king is, and you can run to him. And there you will find refuge, and you'll be able to regroup, you'll be safe, get words of encouragement so that you can turn around and with your king go back into the battle and be victorious. You have set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow. So I have four drill-down principles on this text. Number one, God is at the banner. When you flee to the banner, who's there? God. You have set up the banner. God's the one who set up the banner. So he's there. And, and so the first principle is, you know, when you are getting beat up in life, flee back to God. Jesus tells us in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So if, if you're having to flee back to God, the implication is you've been out there fighting on your own apart from him. No wonder we're getting beat up, right? But God plants the banner. That's him saying, I'm over here. Come to me. We always have the opportunity to flee back to God. And it is the, the game changer. It's the difference maker. Sean Atukpe. When he was a teenager, Sean lost his father. He loved his dad. He, he and his dad uh, had all kinds of plans that they were going to do in the future. And then his dad dies. And uh, he lives in London. And so he said that he became suicidal. He figured, a life without my dad's not worth living. And he didn't know how to deal with the pain. He figured, you know what, I, he, he was a you know, he'd grown up in, a, in the church. He knew that God was supposed to uh, be the comforter uh, of people, but, but he didn't know how to bring his pain to God. And he was trying to deal with it on his own, and, and he wasn't succeeding. He was getting beaten up. But then he writes, One day I opened the Scriptures and read, 
You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And I realized that along with everything else in my life, God wanted me to trust him with my pain. My heavenly Father loved me dearly, and I could cast my burdens and sorrows upon him. And so Sean fled to the banner, and there he allowed his heavenly Father to love him in the way that his earthly father couldn't at that time. And it made the difference. So we can always turn to God, run back to him, and it's the game changer. God will give us the strength we need to continue on. Second principle, the banner is a place to regroup. You flee to the banner, that's not a place to give up. The banner is not a place to lay down your arms and surrender. It's a place you go to then look into the eyes of the king, and he smiles at you, and he projects confidence, and his confidence starts to flood your own heart. And he says, you know what? You're doing a good job. We're going to win this thing. I know it feels desperate right now, but we're going to win. Fear not. And then he gives you, you know, new battle instructions. Paul, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's come to the end of his life, and here's what he tells Timothy. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all at Clearwater Church who have loved his appearing. Okay, I inserted a couple things. So we don't surrender, right? Life is a battle, especially if you are trying to live for God in this world especially if you're trying to live a victorious Christian life. The battle's never going to stop. But you can fight the battle with God, and you can fight it victoriously. So don't give up. Third principle, under the banner, you will find others who fear God. You've set up a banner for those who fear you that they may flee to it from the bow. They, that's plural. You flee to the banner, and then you look around, hey, you're here, you're here. And there's strength in numbers, right? And all of a sudden, you had felt isolated, and now you're like, look, we're pretty, we're pretty strong, we're pretty large. And, and this is the doctrine of the church. We're not meant to do the Christian life alone. God established the local church for a reason. We need other Christians to breathe truth and hope and courage and faith into us. On our own, we're just, we're like uh, a coal that gets taken out of the fire and it will burn down. But you leave the coal in the fire and we heat each other up. We keep each other's faith alive. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 23 to 25. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, 
and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I remember telling my mom one time, I don't need, I don't want to go to youth group anymore. I don't need it, right? And she just instantly said, yeah, but maybe they need you. So this, the church is give and take. Sometimes we're in a place where we're desperately in need, and God's people comfort us and love us, and sometimes we're that for other people. We uh, provoke, stir up one another to love and good works. Are we doing that? Let's not be, uh, the habit of some is to stop meeting together. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the habit of some is. That's a summertime habit. It's time to break that summertime habit. And we're not legalistic around here, I mean, um, but there's a principle, and the principle is we need each other, we need to gather together regularly, and uh, you got, that takes time and en- energy and intentionality and build it into your schedule. You will be stronger spiritually, and other people will be stronger spiritually because you have built that habit of assembling together. That's the reality. Elaine Creesman, um, both of her daughters ab- uh, abandoned their Christian faith, and her marriage was rocky. And she said, for a time, I stopped attending church, because every time I went to church, somebody asked me, how are your girls? And then I had to remember that they weren't doing well spiritually, and I had to confess that, and it, it was hard for me. And she said, and when I went to Bible study, my Bible study leader would always talk about her husband as, oh, my sweetheart and my darling. And she said, and it just irritated me because that wasn't what was happening in my marriage. And so she said, I just stopped going to church and Bible study for a while until God convicted me that it was a discipline I needed in my life. And here's what she writes. Yet as I determined to keep going to church and return to my Bible study... I learned to stop keeping pain a secret. I allowed myself to cry in front of others. When I was honest about my pain, some people were uncomfortable, but others offered godly counsel, hugs, prayers, tears, and stories about their own pain. Under the banner, we find other people who fear God, and they infuse us with courage, and then we go out together to fight life's battles. Final principle, the banner is the gospel. The banner that gets raised by the king is the gospel. Uh, This particular verse is um, notoriously difficult to translate because it has a few words in here that are, well, at least one that is what is called, if you want a technical term, hapex legomena, only time it's ever used in the scriptures. And so there is a, a variant reading that's reflected in the King James Version. It's this, thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. But the insight this gives us is that the banner that's being raised by the king is truth. It's the gospel. What is it we're fleeing to? We're fleeing to the gospel that's being being waved by God. For David, the gospel was the good news that God had entered into a covenant relationship with Israel. 
And that even though God was disciplining Israel, God had not disowned Israel. And that's what verses 6 through 8 are talking about. This is the oracle of God. God has spoken in His holiness. With exultation I will divide up Shechem and portion out the vale of Succoth. Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, Judah is my scepter. Gilead and Manasseh, uh, that's uh, north and south, or I'm sorry, east and west Israel. Ephraim and Judah, that's north and south. So uh, God's using shorthand here. And notice, Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim is my helmet, that's my power. Judah is my scepter, that's my, uh, my rule, my authority. Now contrast that relationship God has with Israel with uh, the relationship God has with the Gentile nations. Moab is my wash basin. It's where I wash my feet. Belongs to me, but I'm, I have a fundamentally different relationship with uh, Moab than I do with Israel. Upon Edom, I cast my shoe. That's just kind of a a sign of disrespect almost. At, over Philistia, I shout in triumph that of a conqueror. So God is reminding Israel, I have a fundamentally different relationship with you than I do the Gentile nations. I own them all, but with you, I have a covenantal relationship and it makes all the difference. So yes, I'll discipline you. When you disobey, I will never disown you. And that's true for the Christian, isn't it? God might discipline us of our sin. He'll never disown us. And so when we flee to the banner, we're fleeing to the gospel. For us, the gospel is even more um, complete. The the mystery of God's plan has been even more fully revealed, and and it's this, that all people on planet Earth can enter, enter into a covenantal relationship with God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The gospel is the good news that Jesus, by dying upon the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. And so all of us can be reconciled to God by repenting of our sins and placing our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, God's wrath is removed from us. Our sins are taken away as far as the east is from the west. They are remembered no more. And the Spirit of the living God indwells us, empowers us to live a righteous life, and then when we die, the Spirit of the living God, the same Spirit that brought Christ forth from the dead, will bring us back to life, and we will live for with God forever and ever and ever. And so we flee to the gospel. Christians, when life is difficult, you flee to the gospel, and you, you re-engage by faith with the truth that God is your God, He loves you, He's with you, Life cannot uh, overcome you. And if you're not a Christian, fleeing to the banner means that you embrace Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Every relationship has a starting place. God has set up a banner for those who fear Him. Do you fear God? Will you begin to fear Him today? That they may flee to it from the bow. The bow that we ultimately must, must be most terrified of is dying apart is dying with the wrath of God still resting upon us and the big bow of hell but we can flee to that by fleeing to Christ 
And so if you're not a Christian, I want to invite you today uh, to become one, to receive this banner that Christ has, uh, that God has established that we can flee to and be saved. And his name is Jesus Christ.